It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 62. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice podcast where developers write in with questions, and we do our darndest to answer them accurately and without any kind of comedy or tangents. I wish darn was a unit of measurement. Like, <laughs> we, we apply five darns to this problem. <laughs> I am capable of outputting several darns. <laughs> per, per unit crap. Per, <laughs> per, unit, yeah. per unit dang. <laughs> per gigawatt. I don't know. There's a bridge here in Boston that's actually measured in uh, the units. I think it's called the smoots. And it's actually written on the bridge, the number of smoots long that the bridge is. And a smoot. Is that a person? Yeah. A smoot is an huh. MIT professor. It's his height. <laughs> okay. So, that's cool. Yeah. Those quirky MIT students. Okay. Kind of like you, you measure the amount of snarkiness in a technical discussion uh-huh. in millidextras. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You haven't heard that one? That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Millidijkstra's. If you're not familiar, Dijkstra is this crusty old computer scientist who's brilliant. Oh, he's dead. But he was brilliant, but also, man, he was snarky. He's got a lot of spicy quotes. That's not a soft skill, though. Should we talk about some soft skills? I think Millidijkstra is a soft skill. If you can really crank out the Millidijkstra's. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's It's like a... It's like a, a the kind of soft skill superpower that a villain would use, though. right? It, just like yeah. applying your intense intellect to just shaming people yeah. that disagree yeah. with you. That's a that's a skill, and it's not a hard it skill. Is. So yeah, yeah. Dijkstra is evil. That's the conclusion. <laughs> no, Dijkstra is awesome. You know who else is awesome? Our listener Nathan, who asked this question. Mm, nice segue. Thank you. Thank you. I am in too many meetings. Technically, I'm an analyst developer, but practically I am a professional meeting attendee. It's very helpful for me and for the life of the projects that I join in the discussions, but it means I don't get any development time. This is a problem both for my mental state um, and for the application development on these projects because the code isn't being written. I mentioned the problem to the scrum master who gave me a dirty look and unfriended me in real life. (laughs) It hurt. (laughs) They schedule these meetings because our manager is cracking down on them. Some projects are getting out of control, so here we are in a season of more meetings. What do I do to swing the pendulum back to where we can get more things done? Hmm. So let me get this straight. There's no code being written. You're sitting in meetings a lot, but you're still getting paid. How, How exactly does this work? How does this company stay in business? (laughs) I think there's some, some lagging going on in the feedback in the system. Mm. Don't worry, that problem will take care of itself. Yeah, eventually. (laughs) (laughs) So I imagine some of these meetings are status meetings, and those probably Mm -hmm. are the most most frustrating where they're asking you, what have you done on the project? And you're like, nothing, because I've been asked, what have I done on the project for the last (laughs) 40 hours last week? And then repeat like four times for the different teams that have to attend the status meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen this in real life kind of degenerate meetings where the meetings are i mean everyone loves to complain about meetings sometimes they're super helpful but some sometimes they they aren't you know honestly i i haven't seen a lot of this uh obviously i've seen the occasional unproductive meeting but i think by and large my life has been filled with meetings that seem pretty useful you just don't show up to the ones that aren't useful well yeah i just get up and leave (laughs) they're not useful because you're not there boom 
because you're <laughs> Dave Smith, a meeting that Dave Smith is in is useful. By definition. Actually, that that is an important point, I think, is that sometimes we think that we are more important to the meeting or that the meeting is more important than it actually is. And like we attend it because we think that our presence is important, but then one, something will happen and you, you fail to attend one time and then the world just keeps moving on without any major problems. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah. hmm. I had a client who has a weekly um, kind of product marketing development meeting and it's several hours long and they wanted me to go and I never did. And what happened? Uh, nothing. The person I hired went to the meeting and they were like a little disgruntled that they had to go and that I didn't. <laughs> so this was a multi-hour meeting that you could bill for to just sit there and well, you didn't yeah, but, go. Well, I billed for doing development instead, uh, which felt more important okay. to me at that time. Good it point. wasn't just like... Good point. But I, I'm agreeing with you that some some meetings don't miss you that much if you're not there. I do think that that's an important point. Like you, there's only one way to test if your presence is really needed at the meeting. And that's don't show up to the meeting. So well, try so it. So there's, there's, the, there's the goal of the meeting, which is theoretically to get some work done or advance some project. But there's all the meta stuff that comes along just being in the meeting, you feel like you're kind of more of a team player. And if you're not in the meeting, I, I at least worry, like they think that I am too good for them mm -hmm. or that this is not important enough, or I, I worry about offending people. Yeah, that, you know? I think that's a valid concern. So I, I have gone to meetings because I wanted to be seen in the meeting, not because I felt like I had a ton of value to get out of it. You're like, hey, everyone, I'm here. I'm contributing. Yay. Yeah, I, I work at this company. <laughs> I am not slacking off right now. You can tell by the way I'm sitting in this room. And and looking attentively. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am a valued member of this team. That's right. <laughs> Which you know by my eye contact. <laughs> That's how I deliver value. <laughs> I just look at you and then you work a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. Value. <laughs> <laughs> it literally comes from my eyes <laughs> it's a superpower um so yeah what's nathan to do okay the it, it sounds like some of the meetings are valuable he at least specifically mentions that they are uh that they're valuable yeah yeah so we, let's take that at face value they are valuable but man there is nothing worse than having let's say four or five meetings in an eight hour, nine hour workday with like 30 to 60 minutes between each one. You know what I mean? Yeah, as a developer, yeah, you can't no. do anything. Yeah, like you're just totally stymied by that. You get off one meeting, you're like, okay, 30 minutes, I can get something done. No, you can't. You can't even get started in 30 minutes, barely. Yeah. Especially since because you've been absent, when you come back to sit next to your team, they're gonna flood you with questions. So you're going to spend that 30 to 60 minutes answering questions and then, whoop, got to go to my next meeting. So yeah. that is just the and worst. Sometimes the questions are like, how was the meeting? What did you talk about in the meeting? <laughs> was so-and-so there? What did they say? Uh -huh. Did you make good eye contact? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the personal issue of unhappiness in meetings, I mean, that answer is pretty clear. You need to go to fewer meetings if you want to be personally fulfilled. Mm -hmm. The the delivering value to the company, Nathan said something about how he's worried the projects aren't advancing enough because he's not writing code on them because he's in meetings all day. Mm -hmm. It might be that in this time of trouble, your role in the organization has shifted 
and and while they would love you to write code the fact that you are in meetings all day makes it pretty unrealistic for them to expect you to write code so either they've explicitly decided that's okay or that's just kind of happened and you need to make sure that's okay cuz cuz maybe maybe they'll be just as horrified as you are like what Nathan is in seven hours of meetings in an eight-hour day. How is he going to get all the crap done? We still need him to do, and then and then something will happen. That is actually possible. I um, I went to it, well. It could be like several different groups, you know, where they're all like, "Well, we meet with Nathan one hour each day," and yeah, yeah, they don't know the collective toll that that has. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that these things? This is a this is a distributed problem where you have individual actors who don't know the full state of the Nathan system. And the Nathan system is horribly fragmented and uh, they, don't, they just don't have any appreciation for that. So aggressively managing and defragging your calendar. Hey, young whippersnappers, do you know what defragmenting is? <laughs> <laughs> I remember clicking a button that did it on my computer when I was a little kid. It took like 60 minutes and then, yep. then, you, then you thought your computer was faster. Yeah. <laughs> that graph was prettier. It was. It was so much more contiguous. Anyway, defragging your calendar is important. A couple of months ago, I got into a situation where I was working on a few additional projects and my meeting load just went through the roof. I had literally 25 meetings a week, which in a 40 to 50 hour work week, it's pretty much impossible to get any software development done when you have 25 like hour long meetings to attend, you know, especially when they're not compressed into a contiguous blocks, which of course they're not because people don't know your calendar. Yeah. Yeah, and then sometimes you do prep for the meeting, so. Yep, yep. And I actually went to my manager and I counted them all up and I categorized each one, which was actually really helpful for me to say, okay, I'm spending this many hours per week doing this kind of meeting on this project, this many hours on this kind of meeting on this other project. And um, it was very, very informative for me. And I went to my manager and I said, this is too much. We got we to gotta change something. And he helped me. It sounds like he's kind of already tried to do that by talking to the Scrum Master. Scrum Master is such a vague. <laughs> yeah. Who who knows what that person actually does though? But it sounds like they didn't help you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> talk to someone else then. I don't know what your Scrum Master what a Scrum Master does in your organization, but someone has the power to say Nathan is miserable and he's not getting any work done. So let's change this. Yes. And find that person and talk to them. <laughs> That's right. And and the way to find that person might be to think, imagine who I would talk to. And if I told them that I have all these meetings and that I'm not getting anything done, they would be really mad. Find that person <laughs> in your, com- in your it's organization. It's <laughs> oh, in your organization. Oh, yeah, okay. in, in your company. Find that person and then think about how they'll respond. And I'll bet you you'll start to get some insight before you even go to that person. Yeah, it might be like a VP of engineering mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. I don't know, some, CEO, some kind of technical like, leadership. How would your yeah, CEO yeah. like to know that they're paying your salary to have you sit in meetings and just make sure status gets reported? Now, on the other yeah. side of that coin, they might say, look, you are serving a valuable function that it turns out is a very rare skill in engineering, which is the ability to coordinate between teams effectively and accurately because it is really hard to do that it turns out it it is a superpower so maybe you're being paid a premium for that and you don't even realize it and once you look at things in that light it might change the way you approach this yeah i mean if you hate meetings well okay i i have been in sort of in these shoes where i've been in meetings and and just hate them um because i felt like they were distracting me from the real work Mm -hmm. but I, i think i've also been in 
periods of my life where I've been in lots of meetings and I didn't hate it because I, I felt like the meeting was the work I was supposed to do. So I think the, the thing exactly, that caused me exactly. to hate it was um, feeling like I was responsible for a bunch of stuff and the meeting was not helping me. It was hurting me exactly. in my ability to get that stuff done. You had an expectations mismatch. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you got to fix up those expectations. Here's another technique you might use, which is to start to get people to use written communication for these things instead of face-to-face verbal. It is so slow to communicate information verbally. Like there's a reason that we don't do the oral tradition of passing stories mouth to mouth. We print them in books and we read the books, right? (laughs) And maybe there's not a reason for that. I don't know. Maybe that has more. (laughs) (laughs) You just offended like the whole stand-up comedian. um, (laughs) I don't know. Union. What do they have? Storytellers. There's still people that do that. But I, I see what you mean that the information density it could it's, be higher. That's right. The information density per unit time is low in spoken form. And it's also... But Dave, you get all the body language. You get the body language. That's true. And that is meta information. But you also sacrifice accuracy. When you speak verbally, it is much easier to be misunderstood. Yes. And it's slower. So if you can get people to write stuff down in documents of some kind and then share them, even if you have a meeting where you just share the documents and read them together... Um, you could probably spend half the time communicating the information uh, as opposed to just having someone stand up in front of the group and say, we're on track to deliver our widget by deadline X. Yeah, the, the meeting meeting physically or through some kind of video conferencing, whatever, meeting with all the people in real time feels valuable when there's a lot of um, back and forth communication and context right. that needs to be shared rapidly. But if it's just status updates... There's, you, you hear that meme all the time about a meeting that could be replaced by an email. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just people being disgruntled, but sometimes it really isn't. Sometimes it's just yeah. someone's working style is to work in meetings and they schedule a meeting and yep, everyone else just kind of goes along. So, All right, I have one more thing I want to say about this, which is that if you are the only person who can attend these meetings and do this, there's a good chance you have become indispensable. And being indispensable is a really bad thing in an engineering organization for two reasons. Number one, you can't scale. So think about as your team and company grow, you can't go to all these meetings, which means you've set up this linear relationship between the org size and your own personal obligation to be in all these meetings. That has to change. You can't scale that way. Um, So that's number one. Number two is that it actually pisses off your coworkers when you're the only person who knows all the things and can connect all the dots. They'll start to resent you because you you'll you can be perceived as an information hoarder or uh, they'll be frustrated that they always have to ask you to get answers to their questions instead of just knowing firsthand what's going on because there's good, healthy mechanisms in place to get that information. Yeah, and you might not even want to hoard the information. You just might forget to tell them everything. Exactly. If, if your job is to hear stuff and tell it to other people, exactly. some of that's going to get lost. And it, holy crap, it is hard to keep track of who you've told what. You know what yeah. I mean? You're like, oh, yeah. I should tell these three people that. And then you tell two of them and then, then you're like, my job is done. And then two months later, you realize you forgot to tell Joe about this critical thing. <laughs> and then Joe finds out about it from someone else. And anyway, That's the major plot point of most rom- romantic comedies. 
someone knows a thing and they think someone else knows it too they don't they don't oh no hilarity (laughs) hilarity ensues yeah so don't don't change the romantic comedy to a a brisk email (laughs) so much more efficient yeah I, i think that sums up our wisdom we answered the question not yet there is oh i told you i had one more thing i actually have two more things oh there is a book face-to-face communication (laughs) doesn't work get rid of it if you had written that down yeah you would have remembered while you're typing oh i have two more things. that's right (laughs) okay there is a book that i haven't read but that other people have (laughs) 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 but other people who are smart have read and told me it's really good and they've told me some of the things about it and i think you've read it too jameson the book is called deep work yes i was thinking about that you've read it yeah yeah and there's stuff in there about scheduling meeting time and stuff and and giving yourself time to do uninterrupted deep work right yep that's the thesis of the book basically that to do hard creative tasks you need long stretches of uninterrupted time and here's all these ways you could try and get it yep and defragging your meetings is a big part of that and eliminating meetings altogether is another big part of that i think yeah, another big part of the book is the author reminding you over and over again how many papers they published. <laughs> I I had issues. I, I don't know. I liked the thesis. I hated the book. Oh, but okay. that's a topic for another podcast. See, this is why this is why I didn't read it. I just let you tell me the good parts. Yeah, the well, it's the title. Deep work. The, the good title's parts. great. Yeah, it it improved my life, and I was also like really grumpy after I read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all I have. All right. Question answered. Good luck, Nathan. Would you like to read our next question? Yes, this comes from an anonymous listener. It starts out, thanks for the show. I think it's become my favorite dev-focused podcast. I like how they said, I think it's become. <laughs> I don't want to commit to that, but that's okay. We, we love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Going on, I am the only front-end developer at a small startup. We are about to acquire another small startup. Management says the plan is to pull the new company's front-end code into our code base. I'm worried I will become sidelined, maintaining the existing front end while the new engineers from the other company work on the new stuff. Even if I don't get sidelined, I'm worried I'll be spending the next few months copying and pasting code into our code base and making other people's code work. Am I getting worried about nothing? Should I speak to my manager about my concerns? Uh, spending the next few months copying and pasting code into our code base and making other people's code work. Sounds like front-end engineering. <laughs> Replace this new startup with Stack Overflow. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is interesting. The, the acquisition. Have you ever been involved in an acquisition? Uh, yes. We purchased one company and integrated their stuff into our products. How did it go? Well, number one, it took about three times longer than anyone thought it would. <laughs> yeah. And... After we finished integrating their stuff into our stuff, we sold the company to another company. Oh, really? So we kind of like took the company, spent two years integrating it and running that company separately. And then we sold the company to a new company. So we we basically, it was kind of an aqua hire. Like we, it was like a two person startup and we got them both and they helped us integrate their technology, which was pretty advanced stuff. It wasn't just like, you know, a CRUD uh, application. Hey, that's advanced for some people. Crud? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Crud in Haskell is very advanced. <laughs> Especially the update part. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do that part. It's just it's just 
You can only read. <laughs> That's right. You can create and read. <laughs> no, you can't even create. That changes state. Everything's pure, Dave. You, you can't, can't create anything. Oh. No, I'm just okay. That's a dumb. That's a dumb joke. Okay. I have been well. Uh, the point in me asking that question was: Did you see people get sidelined or pulled into directions they didn't want to go because of the acquisition? Well, I mean, look, every acquisition is going to be different. You know, depending on the the nature of things, depending on the what you intend to do with the technology you acquire, what you intend to do with the people. But in this case, no, no one got sidelined. There was more than enough work for everyone to have fulfilling, meaningful work to do. Yeah. I was, I worked at a company that acquired another company. Um, there were some rounds of layoffs of the company we acquired, but mm -hmm. after that, the, the kind of people that ended up working together with us, um, they were all really great and really smart and we all worked together on exciting things as well. It didn't feel like anyone got stuck with the, with the bad work. Maybe I'm just remembering that way because I didn't get stuck with the bad yeah. work. <laughs> there was this army of people miserable. You had no idea. <laughs> yeah yeah so so how many who got laid off was it the acquiring company or the acquired company the acquired company had a lot of employees and not all of them ended up working long term at the at the acquiring company mm -hmm. um which i i that's kind of standard it's kind of sad yeah that's more typical it's more typical to have people get sidelined or laid off from the company being acquired yeah because it's like you have like I don't, well, I was going to say a dumb analogy. I'm not going to say that anymore. But you already, your company <laughs> knows you well, right? And they trust you and know what you can do. And even though they're in, interested in this company they're acquiring, all these people are still new to them. And, and so I, I don't think the default thing is to like see the new employees and be like, you know what? You're better than all these employees we already have. Throw those people in the garbage. Mm -hmm. I could see how that'd be scary, but I don't think that would usually happen. All right, so here's here's my All, suggestion. Although I, well, I just thought of a story from um, Jamie Zawinski, the Netscape guy. Okay, tell it. Netscape acquired this object-oriented company back when that was like incredibly cutting edge, and and they kind of came in, and then suddenly they were running the development of the new version of Netscape. Oh well, somehow, <laughs> and and he has a lot of grumpy things to say about how big of bozos they were and how they ruined everything and. <laughs> So maybe through some common, some some kind of politics, it could happen. Oh, but yeah. I, I yeah. feel like it doesn't usually, especially in smaller acquisitions and smaller companies. Yeah, it kind of depends. Also, if the companies are planning to join forces, like, and continue to operate as a company that's twice the size, like that's pretty common too for small companies. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, this could go any direction. Okay, you're right. But I have one way to make sure that you're on the other side of this fence, which is. Pretend you didn't know the acquisition is happening. Go interview with the other company and get a job with them. And then get acquired by your former company. And then you get you get the good stuff. And then you won't get sidelined. I mean, if yeah. you're worried that you'll get sidelined on this side, then join the other side. Yeah. If you can't beat them. It's perfect. Join them. I like it. Yeah. All right. Question answered. <laughs> what else? <laughs> what else is there to say? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> We're done. This question asker asks at the end, should I speak with my manager about my concerns? What do you think about that, Dave? The answer to this question is in every case except for harassment or illegal activities, the answer is always yes. 
<laughs> go straight to your manager and talk to them about this problem. Yeah. If your manager is dealing drugs out of the basement of the office, don't talk to your manager about it. Talk to the police. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I noticed a lot of blood stains on your clothes the other day. Um, and some strange smells coming from your office. And I just wanted to confront you in this dark parking lot alone about it. To, to I mean, you can save face that way, right? You don't have to explain yourself in front of your peers. And yeah, this is for you. <laughs> no one knows I'm here. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I didn't tell anyone I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But aside from that one rare case, yes, always talk to your manager. Anytime you find yourself saying, should I talk to my manager about this? Like the answer is almost always yes. And if you're in a situation where you can't trust your manager to talk about these kinds of things, you're in a bad situation and you should find a way out of it probably. But your manager is there to help you. And in most cases, obviously not all managers are good at this. But um, if you have concerns about being sidelined, you have concerns about the nature of your job, talk to your manager and tell them, I don't want to be sidelined. I want to make sure that I'm in the thick of this. I want to contribute. I want to be part of the team. And that will greatly increase your odds of being in the thick of it and part of the team. Yeah. And and knowing that your concerns specifically are, I want to work on the cool new stuff and maintaining our existing app and integrating is not exciting to me is helpful to the manager because that could be exciting to some people, right? Yeah. Maybe they have other people that are interested in that and now they know like, okay, this makes my job easier exactly. to allocate resources. You would be amazed I can put the different things people want to do on their jobs yeah. and that managers just can't guess unless you tell them. Yeah. So their lives are better if they can put people where they're happier on mm -hmm. projects they're happier doing. So mm -hmm. also remaining silent is a great way to uh, get what you don't want. <laughs> Just generally. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's probably how I ended up here. Remaining in silent in my life. Yeah. <laughs> self-employed. Oh. You forgot that you didn't tell your manager you don't want to be self-employed and here you are self-employed. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I like that point a lot. It makes sense to me. Any other things we want to say about this question? Hmm. I, I would I would probably ask more questions before I jumped in and said, I don't want to be sidelined. I would probably start with lots of questions. Talk to as many people as you can about the acquisition. Ask what the intentions are for the code. Ask what the intentions are for the staff. Ask what the overall outcome is hoping, what they're hoping for, you know? You'll be surprised at how much people are willing to say, and you might just get the answer to your question before you even have to say anything. Or sorry, what I meant to say was you might get what you want without having to ask because you find out that what you want is already what you're going to get. So be silent is what <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> just sit around and wait for bad things and, <laughs> and then grin and bear it. <laughs> I, I think another point is that some kind of anxiety around the outcome of an acquisition is totally normal because the, this is a big deal and it changes the company in a lot of ways. Yeah. When you hire people, you hire them usually one at a time or in small numbers at a time. An acquisition, you just get a bunch of people all at once. Yep. All these people have their own desires that you get a and you get a business which has its own gravity, right? Yeah. It has some revenue model that could be slightly different from your company's revenue model and now i don't know it just kind of stirs everything up a little bit so I, I don't think it's weird that you are concerned about the effects of this acquisition but yep. i also don't think it is going to be horrible yep yep times will be changing for you the culture will change you can't double the size of your company overnight i'm assuming that's going to happen and not change the culture so get ready and just roll with it yeah 
Good luck. Good luck. You will do great. And if not, let us know. Quit your job. (laughs) Quit your job. Quit your job. Quit your job. Welcome to the Quit Your Job Show. (laughs) There's probably a podcast about that. I'll go find it. All right. Where can people go if they want to ask their own questions, Dave? Go visit us on the World Wide Web at softskills.audio. Click Ask a Question and fill out our user-friendly and convenient form. Many of you have done that. Please keep your stories brief and to the point, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Sorry if we haven't gotten to your question yet. We have many, many questions in the backlog that are keeping us busy. Jameson, how can people help the show? They can tweet about the show. Share it with your friends. We are at softskillseng on Twitter. Um, They can share the link to the website, which is a very convenient way to show people how to subscribe. There's all these recommendation features in all the different podcast apps. I mean, iTunes has reviews. Uh, If you leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, that would be great. You can press the little star button in this app called Overcast that I use. I have no idea what it does, though. It's just this black hole. Every time you click that button, Jameson gets this nice back rub feeling, like someone's like taking his shoulders and massaging them. That explains a lot of my life <laughs> just now. <laughs> yeah, but but share it with other people if you enjoy it. That's the best way to help us. We would love to to have more listeners because our egos are large, but not large enough. <laughs> not sufficiently large. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They must become massive. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Catch you next week.